been tried many times. Nobody found really a fault that he could be, could be um, uh, executed. And but he has uh, uh, appealed his case to Caesar, and now he is going to go to Rome. And when it was this, this um, oh, just before that, um, the map is super helpful if you have to follow along um, because it points out the traveling. So the first section would be to Sidon, then up to Mira. They changed ship there because the first ship was going to go up the coast. Uh, then they go this way, they go to uh, Crete. Uh, and then we have the big drama in Fair Havens, where they were just supposed to just go one day's trip up to Phoenix, and they get lost at sea. And so that's that's what's going to happen here as we read the first part, or reread the whole chapter. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some of the other prisoners to a centurion. Uh, um of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of er, up the coast there, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia. We put to sea accompanied by Aristarchus, the Me Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put it in Sidon. And Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. And putting out to sea from here, we sailed on the lee of Crete because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Sicily and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Ithaca. There the centurion found the ship of Alexandria. We sailed, sailing for Italy, and put us aboard. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty at Sidus. And as the wind did not allow for us to go any further, we sailed under the lee of Crete of Salome. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Haven, near which was the city of Lisa. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest and spend the winter there. Now when, they, when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete, close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the northeastern struck down from the land, and the ship was caught and, and, and could not face the wind. We gave way to it and were driven along. Running on the lee of a small island called Kuda, we managed with difficulty to difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, we used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on searches, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. 
and on the third day they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor star appears for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up, said to them, Men, you should have listened to me, and not set sail from Crete, and incurred this injury and loss. Yet, now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God, of the God that whom I belong to and whom I worship. And he said to me, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have told you. But you must run aground on some island. When the fourteenth day had come, and they were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, uh, which is the Ionian Sea today, about the midnight, the sailors supposed that they were nearing land, they took a sounding and found twenty fathoms, and a, a, a little farther on they took another sounding and found fifteen fathoms. And fearing that they might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for they to come. And the sailors were seeking to, and as the sailors were seeking to escape the skip, the skip, the ship, um, and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under the pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to them, to the centurion and the soldiers, "Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved." Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let go and uh, as day was about to dawn Paul urged him to take some food saying today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food having taken nothing therefore I urge you that you take some food for it will give you strength for not a hair is to perish from one of your heads of any of you and when he had said these things, he took bread, giving thanks to God in the presence of all, broke it, and began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and ate food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and throwing out the wheat into the sea. Now when it was day, they did not reconcile recognize the land but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned if possible to ram run the sh ship ashore so casting off the anchors and le left them in the sea at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudder then hoisting the foresail to the wind they made for the beach but striking a reef they ran a the vessel aground the bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered that those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks on a piece of the ship, and so it was that all were brought safely to land. Amen. This is the word of the Lord.
um, we enter into one of the uh, one more passage where we have a what they call a we section. So now, now Luke is including himself in this voyage, the author of of Acts. Um, so Luke is also on this ship, and I don't know about you, but I didn't don't know a lot about ships lingo and stuff. So I had to look up a lot of the things. What's the stern? What the what's the bow? What's all those things? What's the tackle? I had no idea what that was. Um, but I guess if you're a boating person, this is a very exciting chapter. But um, uh, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. But that was just my. <laughs> Sometimes we have to investigate some things when we go and 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 we read because it might not be the language that we. I yeah, like I said, I don't know much about boats. Um, oh, it was Luke. So Luke's with them in the boat, and there are actually 276 people, uh, which is kind of kind of a lot. At least what I thought, because sometimes when we talk about Jesus, like they're like five, ten people in a boat. So this is a larger ship. And another person says that there were ships that could carry up to 600 people. So it's like maybe a medium grain ship of some sort. Um, but yeah, the finally, you can say finally, he gets out of prison. He's still in prison, uh, Paul. Escorted then by Luke and also another person we met earlier, Aristarchus. He went. He was one of the people carrying the offering with Paul to Jerusalem. So he's also going that way, apparently. And uh, and Luke is also along, uh, maybe uh, helping Paul as they are traveling. He he. Uh, the centurion gives Paul some freedoms to go and be blessed by the people around. Um. And yeah. But as you as you heard, it's a it's a story, I guess, of what not to do if you're sailing, uh, because uh, Paul warns them, and so at this point in time, Paul has he is, has some maybe you won't not call him a, a seaman, but he's been sailing a lot uh, at this point, and and he points out to them, uh, we're entering into the season where it's dangerous. We we've uh, we've passed it. We've passed the fast, and we're entering into a, a, uh, a dangerous seafaring. Sea was dangerous, but it was even more dangerous in the winter time. And so Paul is bringing that up to the people, saying, uh, "We should not go any further." The pilot and the and the owner of the ship and the centurion and the other people there they listen, and then mm, okay, we we just need one more day, one more day, then we will be. Just one, if we can just that one more day, maybe just a half a day, and we can get to Phoenix, and it will be way better to hire, to to have the ship there. And it, so it's an understandable, it's it's an understandable desire they have, and it's just short. It's just it's not that far. And so by consensus, actually, they 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 um, they try for this. There's a little wind. They're like, okay, this we're gonna make it, and but they don't. Uh, very shortly after, they're blown out to sea instead. And they are in darkness and have no idea where they are. Um, so God, is, or not God, but Paul says at some point, you should have listened to me. <laughs> it's a classic, I told you so. No, but um, so just like, to, just a few points is like, uh, the majority can be wrong. It's clear here, majority can be wrong. And, uh, it's if you're sailing in a wooden ship, you shouldn't do it in the winter time in the in the in the in the 
in the Mediterranean. That was not the point. I can't remember what my second point was. There's a fly. Um, yeah, the point is you should obey Jesus first. So, 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 but but what is actually going? What is going on? And how do we see that God is is with Paul through all this? Um, so what's the status at this point? What's the status? The status in twenty seven twenty is when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us. All hope of being safe was at last abandoned. That's how they're doing on the ship. <laughs> they haven't seen the stars and the moon for a long time, and, and so they have no idea where they are. The state is they have given up all hope of being saved. But God intervenes. And Paul explains and says and gives them hope and comfort. Paul comes and comforts Paul, that comfort he delivers to the other people. And the Lord decides to save 275 people so that he can preserve Paul. And, and there's, don't fly. Okay. <laughs> but I'm, let me just read the part because there's a, a thing I think is very good also. He says, Men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incur injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel and messenger of the God whom I belong to and whom I worship. And he said to me, do not be afraid. That was also what Jesus said to him last, to him, last time when he was in prison. Do not be afraid. And what he said to him in Corinth uh, maybe uh, somewhere else when he said, do not be afraid. What Meyer said, I have more people. They will not hurt you. And then this part, and behold, God has granted to you all those who are sailing with you. Take heart, men, for I have a, I have faith in God that it will be exactly like he has told. I just think it, and God has granted you those who sail with you. So it would seem that Paul in this crazy part, you know, he's not seen anything. He's praying for the people in the ship. And God grants him, grants him all these people. I mean, maybe you could have if you would be, <laughs> no, <laughs> let's not go there. Maybe you could have prayed, well, you can save the 200 part, but I don't like that guy, that guy. Okay. But God intervenes. And he tells Paul what will happen. Or some of what would happen. That if they stay with the ship, no one will lose their life. And God, he spares them all. Where there's no hope, all of a sudden, Paul brings in hope because of the Lord that he serves. We see the they wait for the night and then they get stuck on a reef and the boat is being pounded and it's falling apart from the sea. The prisoners are about to be killed and we, we have learned that now if you lose a prisoner, you get his, you take his place. So if that prisoner was going to die, you die. So this is very, this is actually very bold and says something about the, 
the risk the centurion is taking here to keep Paul alive, he's risking that the other prisoners would escape. But again, again, God preserves him. And then, then we've heard this story and they all make it safely to land. The God have helped them. And then I would like to talk about this uh, this word here. The attribute of God. And we have this book called, the kids had called Fancy Nancy. So a fancy word or a Latin word for God being all-knowing is omniscience. It means that God knows everything. He's all-knowing. It's a sense he knows all about the past, all about the future. Nothing takes him by the price. His knowledge is total. There's nothing that he doesn't know. That's uh, from study.com. For us, it's uh, something to consider, not just as some kind of uh, odd doctrine over here that God is like this, God like this, God like this. And the song that we sang, there's many other big words. But what do, they, what do they mean and how are they practical to us? Because what does this mean when we pray, for instance? Well, then we're talking to someone who knows everything about everything. That means we don't have to ever feel shame, pain, and guilt coming to God because he already knows. We don't have to explain our joy because he knows so we can share it immediately. Have you ever been in a conversation where you misunderstood the other person? Yes, you have all. But God doesn't misunderstand you because he already knows all about who you are. You're fully known. He knows everything about you. And so we can always come to him. And then, as Stephen was saying, when we don't know what will happen, well, then we can pray to the one who does. Someone that was right down there where Tariq and the family are sitting asked me one time after a, a teenage young adult meeting if God knew the future. And I didn't exactly, I was young in my faith, so I didn't exactly know how to answer that. All I knew is that when I was reading my Bible, it was clear that God knew the future. But I didn't exactly know how to put that into words or how that even can be encouraging for us to know. Like, why is this, why am I even spending time on this? That's to encourage us with who God is. And might I even dare say it is necessary for God to know all things. Because you're not really God if you don't know everything. Then God wouldn't be God at all. It's also one of the attributes I believe makes God what people misuse words in some places is God is awesome. The person God is requires are are so it's not like you do something cool on your skateboard or something oh that's awesome that's not the point of the word the word is that it demands are are because he's all knowing why is that awesome you say well it's awesome he knows me I'm fully known yes it's great that's the positive side 
There's also what you could say a negative side, a panic side. Kylene brought it out as I was bringing out my, laying out what I wanted to do. She says, yeah, but that also knows that God knows all my sin, all the thoughts I don't even want to think, all the deeds that I do, all my thinking. So you can say there's no safe place for your sin, which also Jonah found out. You cannot run somewhere and God doesn't see you. He even knows where you're running when you're running. If I go into the depths of Sheol, you are there. If I go ascend to heaven, you are there. Knowing that God knows everything. There's no place to hide. Like the Hebrew says, you are, we are laid bare. There's nothing that he does not see. And I, <laughs> I, I also caught myself. <laughs> the same did. It's so funny. And not funny, but tragic and funny, weird. So there's no way we can go. You can't. Somebody, somebody a while ago shared with me that his friend, who was a Catholic, when he was watching porn on his movies uh, on his computer, changed the screensaver from uh, Mary to something else, and then he watched porn. I was like, okay, so God is omni; He knows all things. So changing the screen doesn't mean that God doesn't know what you're doing. When you gossip or talk about people that's not there. If you uh, may manage to steal somebody from someone, God also knows. When you uh, fix your taxes so you get a bigger plus, God also knows that. And then I caught myself walking back through Kiliparking and just the bombardment of things in my mind of what I thought about those people, <laughs> what I thought about those people. But God knows all those things. He knows I look down upon those people or think those people are dumb. All those things are laid bare. God knows exactly what I think, what you think, everything. That changes who God is from this like distant God we don't really know who doesn't interact. Who doesn't have, want anything to do with people to have be an extremely intimate God who knows everything about us. Even what we're going to say next. He knows what will happen next. Our experience is so much different. And uh, Lee has quoted this quote before also. I don't know what the future might hold, but I know who holds the future. That's our experience more, way more, is I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Jesus says, you don't even know, you, like, stop caring, like, don't worry about all the other days. You don't even know what's going to happen today. So Ralph Alpert, he was also engaged with struggles at the, in the world in trying to minister to people and trying to end segregation. So for him, it was also extremely encouraging to know that God knew the future because of all the opposition. That was a great encouragement for him and many others to continue to seek and obey Jesus even when we don't see any progress or the progress we would like. Even when we were opposed and ridiculed for what we believe. 
And knowing that God is omniscient, knowing all things, knowing that God knows that people's heart can, hearts can be changed, knowing that he saved me so that he can do that with other people as well. And it's such a good picture, or this picture of the competing kingdoms that we see in Acts what God acts mightily. And then we have persecution and slandering. God acts mightily, persecution and slandering. But God knows it all. And we just see, have you seen how we have been with Paul in this? And we can see how in God, not in God's life, in Paul's life, this has also been true. Ever since he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, um, and, and he talks to uh, Ananias and say, go and heal this man because he's already seen you coming. <laughs> God knows the future. He's already seen you coming. And then he, uh, Paul is, uh, he, Paul is uh, warned three times about what's going to happen in Jerusalem. Last time there by Agabus. And they're trying to persuade him not to go. God knows what's going to happen. Paul doesn't. He knows something about what's going to happen. And then today, the examples of like, the example of, I just think it's beautiful. Not a hair is to perish from any of your heads, as we read from today. Then God being um, omniscient can give us great encouragement to keep following and obey Jesus even when other people are against us. And we can set our eyes on his awesomeness. And like we talked about, but it might also bring us into panic because who can stand before a holy, righteous God who knows everything, even our thoughts, we are fully known. But looking at another life, to the life of Jesus, Jesus many times tells to the disciples what's going to happen. Go in and get a donkey. I'm going to die and rise again. And so on. He also knows what people are thinking. In some meetings, he's like, hey, why are you thinking like that? Why does evil thoughts happen in your life, in, in your heart? His own life was persecuted by the prophets. He heals, he restores life. Jesus knows why he came to earth. He knows the plan. Jesus knows all of my sin and all your sin. The ones that was all future, but also the one that's future now and the one that's in our past now. Jesus knows what I'm thinking. He knows what you're thinking. Sometimes we might feel alone and like nobody understands us. But that's not the case because God and Jesus, Jesus knows exactly how you're doing. God knows if you're alone, fearful, despair, tired, afraid. If you feel full of guilt, shame, God, he knows. So like the old hymn, take it to the Lord in prayer. Because he already knows. So talk to him about it. He's the one who could do something about it as well. He knows all things. So how is that encouraging, actually? And how does it make the gospel even better? I was trying to create, uh, sh paint this picture of Jesus, paint the picture of God of being 
omniscient, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-worldly unbeaten, this awesome God to worship. It means for us all that God knows us fully. This is what most people in the world, in my opinion, is seeking, is somebody to love them for who they are. If that's for friends or acceptings from family, it's one of the greatest needs to be fully known and then still loved. Many people are not fully known by anybody but God and therefore strive to who can, who actually loves me for who I am. As we talked about last time, God loved us first. And he did that by sending Jesus to be the propitiation for our sin, to take away our sins and reconcile him, us to God. That's how we see God loved first. And when we can see the goodness of God, we can love him back. Then you can see God is even greater and more loving. The gospel being even bigger than maybe you have considered before. Because God knows absolutely everything about everything. And God still chooses to send his son. Jesus comes. He lives his life. He dies. He resurrects and he's coming back. And he knew all of it. In Christ, the omniscience of, of God is amazing, comforting, a great motivation. It shows us clearly the love of God in Christ Jesus. That we are truly, fully known, all of us. And God has shown us in Christ Jesus that we can come to him and be saved from the wrath of an omniscient, all-knowing God. And he did that while we were still in our darkness and sins. So if this, may, if this causes you to panic instead of run to Jesus, then call on God today and be reconciled to God. This is also the verse that we have uh, the verse that we just talked about shortly in the beginning from 2 Corinthians 5, 18, 21. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. So if you, if you out there and here are afraid of an all-knowing, all-powerful God who knows your thoughts, who knows your mind, then we appeal to you to be reconciled to God. Why? Here's the answer. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin that we might become the righteousness of God. That is God's amazing invitation to you. 
that you don't have to be in panic and fear, but you can cast all your worries, all your sin upon the cross of Christ and be reconciled to God. That you may be fully known, fully loved by an all-knowing, all-powerful God. So therefore, we can rejoice in the omnipresence of God. Omniscience of God. Omnipresence is another one. We'll take that another way. So we can trust in him. And I can said that, all that stuff. Oh, Lord, Jesus is awesome. He's great. He's all-knowing. He's a living God. So let's praise him in joy and thanksgiving. Amen. You may rise, and we have a last song, and then we'll have the benediction together. So let's rejoice. It's an oldly classic. Hey, welcome. And I'll not sing so.